Thank you, TJ. All right, we're going to go ahead and just welcome up Pastor Nancy as she comes. Give her a hand clap. She's going to preach an awesome word to us this morning. What's up? Good to see you guys this morning. Is anybody not here that is usually present on Mondays? Awesome. Good to see Isaac. Thank you for visiting. You guys ready for chapel today? Part two here as my crayon just fell to the floor. My kid's crayon here. All right. Wow. What a service. Jesus. Do you guys feel the difference in um, gathering together, Sunday services, maybe even your life groups, chapel, after what we've experienced together as a church the level of anointing, the level uh, of boldness that we're walking in, the worship experience of his presence here in this place. Do you feel the shift? Do you feel the difference? There's something about walking through the fire together. You never come out the same way. When you don't want to suffer, when you don't want to walk through the fire, you miss out on what you could become. And that is where the secret lies. When it comes to suffering for Christ, we partake in his sufferings. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But before I get into my message, I want to encourage you where you're at this morning. As Bible college students, some of you guys are fixing to graduate. Others of you are somewhere in the middle and some just started. Please get this in your heart. It's going to be worth it all. Because every single thing that you're doing right now is in preparation for the greater. So enjoy the journey, embrace the challenges, embrace the stretching, embrace the growing pains, because God uses all of it to mature you, to bring you closer to him. And when we try to wiggle our way out of those pains, we never truly become who he wants us to become. And if you think of raising children, you know, some of you guys aren't parents yet. Our children have to go through not only our love and affection, but also our discipline. Why? Because we're still molding who they're going to be. Now, we don't change their personality. We try to help mold that for that and for them to, to learn how to be obedient. Amen? And it's the same thing with our walk with the Lord. We have not entered uh, into a, a dead state of religion. Jesus is very much alive in an interaction with us in relationship as a father, as a brother, as a friend. And he wants us to become more like him. So embrace the journey. Do not despise small beginnings. And dream big for the Lord. Don't feel like you can't do things to express your passion for God when it comes to ministry. Even if you're still in the 101, the 201, as an elder deacon, don't just think to yourself, oh, maybe at that time when I'm doing that thing. No, do it now. Be passionate now. Be passionate for evangelism now. Make disciples now. Be a leader now. Be influential now. Amen? Praise the Lord. I love you guys. The title of my message this morning is, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Woo! How fitting after that powerful service. I asked the Lord what he wanted me to preach for today. I was driving to church last Sunday, and I felt that this is what he put in my heart. And I had a few confirmations since then. So let's get into it. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 is where we find this very, very popular verse. I will be all over the Bible today, 
sometimes when I'm preparing my sermon, it's like, man, we just, we might as well read the whole Bible, you know, because you just get so many verses that you want to go with your points. And it's like, well, we're going to be doing a lot of Bible reading today. And how many of you guys are okay with that? It's good to read the Bible. You're in Bible college. You might as well, right? But Romans chapter 1, verse 16 is where we find the verse theme of my title here. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Before Paul goes into this very elaborate letter to the church in Rome, he wants to preface this right here, that he is not ashamed of the gospel. They say he probably wrote this letter on his third missionary journey, so I want to give you a little bit of background information, not too much, just a little bit of background so we can get a sense for where Paul was. So if he was on his third missionary journey, how many of you guys know Paul has been through some stuff? Paul had endured a lot of stuff. He was flogged, he was beaten, he was left for dead, he was shipwrecked. Probably all of this, much of it had happened to him at this point in time. And he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He wrote this around 57 AD. The church was predominantly Gentile, but there was a minority of Jews. And chapter 16 suggests that there were probably at least five house churches in the city at that time. And the spiritual condition of the people in Rome was that both Jews and Gentiles alike were sinners in need of salvation. They needed to meet the Messiah. The Jews missed it. And Paul was writing this letter to prepare his coming to them. And the Gentiles needed to understand that the promise still was held to the Jews and that they get the advantage of getting grafted in. Amen? And some of the themes that we see in this letter are God's plan of salvation for both the Jews and the Gentiles, justification by faith, not by works. The righteousness belongs to God. It's not our own righteousness. Wrath and judgment, dead to sin, alive in Christ, life through the Spirit, all that good stuff, right? So going back to the main verse, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to all who will what? Believe. So my introduction, number one, what is the gospel? You guys all know that the word gospel comes from the Greek word evangelion. That's the very English way of saying it. If you want to be really Greek, you could say evangelion, okay? And that's, and what does that mean? It means good news. The gospel means good news. And I went back in our archives and I found the definition that we used back in the day. I think it was 2013, our glorious gospel conference. And here's the definition we used. The gospel is the good news concerning God's glory and humanity's salvation by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You could take notes if you want. You guys are just so, you just know a lot right now. Are you taking notes? Please take notes. I challenge you, always take notes during chapel. Pens, pencils, phones, take notes. Glorious gospel definition. The gospel is the good news concerning God's glory and humanity's salvation by the grace of God through faith in Christ Jesus. I want to read Romans chapter 1, 1 through 4, so we're still in that text. Paul prefaces the gospel 
in the beginning of the letter too, before he talks about how he's not ashamed of it and that it's the power of God. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. How many of you guys are set apart for the gospel of God? Come on. The gospel he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son. Did you catch that? Verse 2, the gospel he promised, verse 3, regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The gospel centers in the son of God, Jesus Christ. From the beginning in Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. From the first book of our Bible all the way to the end in Revelation 22, we see how it's always been about Jesus and mankind, God and mankind. In the beginning, he created the Garden of Eden. In the end, in Revelation 22, we read about the Garden of Eden restored. It's always been about us experiencing and living in the glory of God. If you can, turn with me to Revelation 22. I want to read a few verses there so we can tie all of this together here. The gospel is a good news about Jesus Christ. Come on. The good news of God's glory that he intended for us to live in. But salvation had to come because Adam and Eve sinned. Eden restored. Revelation 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. Do you remember that tree? Was that tree in the beginning? Was it the tree of knowledge of evil and the tree of life? Yep, come on. Bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more nights. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. Come on, it's always been about the glory of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the beginning and even at the end, it's us with him in splendor. Amen? So what is the gospel? The good news of God's glory and humanity's salvation. Adam and Eve lived in the glory of God, but they chose to disobey. We have been born into that disobedience because sin came to the whole human race, but now we have been born again by the Spirit of God and saved so that we can live in the glory of God for all time. Amen? Number two, part of the introduction, what does the gospel do? The gospel reconciles mankind, both Jew and Gentile, back to God. It restores humanity's relationship with its creator. So we understand what the gospel is. And now, what does the gospel do? Ephesians 3, 1 through 7, you don't have to turn to that one, I'll read. 
Paul explains this to the uh, church in Ephesus. For the reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I have already written briefly in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through what? The gospel. The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Jesus Christ. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. So what does the gospel do? According to that passage, it reconciles Gentiles to God and, of course, all of humanity. We have been reconciled back by the gospel to understand that our identity and our purpose is salvation through Jesus Christ. The second thing that the gospel does is that it brings good news to the poor. It gives freedom to prisoners, makes blind men see, sets the oppressed free, and proclaims the favor of the Lord. After being tested in the wilderness, we read in Luke chapter 4, 14 through 21, that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread all throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. And then he went to Nazareth on the Sabbath day, and he walked into the synagogue. And as was his custom, he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Does that sound like the gospel? Good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll like a boss. I love when I read the Gospels or Acts, and then it's like Jesus, like the boss. He rolls it up, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's talking about me. That's me, Jesus. What was hidden in the Old Testament was revealed to us in the New Testament. He is the mystery that we were all waiting for. All the prophets prophesied about it, and we get the glorious privilege of living in the 21st century to have as much understanding of it as we possibly can. Jesus is the fulfillment of the gospel, the good news that he came to seek and save that which was lost because he was the only one who could pay the ransom. He was the only one that could pay the price for our sin, the precious blood of Jesus. He is the good news to the poor. He is the one who proclaims freedom for all prisoners, prisoners of sin, prisoners of the devil, gives sight to those who are blind physically and spiritually, sets the oppressed free, and we live in the year of the Lord's favor every day. No matter what we go through, 
We may want to curse 2020, but y'all, we got to bless 2020. In Jesus' name, it is the year of the Lord's favor. Because we may not have understood all these years of praying for revival, praying for a great awakening in America, praying for abortion to come to an end, praying for a president who will stand up for righteousness, at least for our, according to our values of scripture, praying all these prayers of violence to cease, and it all starts to get worse. And then it just manifests like craziness, like all hell has broken loose over our cities. But God. But God. And so we don't curse 2020. Everybody who's watching. It's like, you know, we always put off those gifts. That's how you, you say that, right? Those gifts. It's like, oh, Lord, please help 2020 just go. I've seen so many memes and gifts. It's like, can we please fast forward to the end of 2020? But guys, God doesn't work necessarily in our time frame. We can, we can bleed over into 2021 and things are just getting heated up. So we have to be ready. We live. We are proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. It is upon us. Amen? That scripture was fulfilled in their hearing. The gospel is all about Jesus. Here are the main points. Number one. What is our responsibility now to the gospel? What are we supposed to do? We understand, and we, we know as, as believers, you guys are all on fire. You're Bible college students. You're laying down your life. You're giving it all. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We're not ashamed. We'll preach it. We'll tell our parents about Jesus. We'll preach to our high schools. We're not ashamed because it's the power of God that brings salvation to all who believe. What do we do with this good news now? This good news that that caused Jesus to be crucified, die, raised from the dead. Number one, we count the cost and surrender to the gospel. It was hard for me to separate these two, but counting the cost and surrender for the sake of my passages of Scripture are going to go hand in hand. Our responsibility to the gospel now is to count the cost and surrender. When you read in Luke chapter 9, and I didn't discover this until I was preparing for this sermon, Luke 9 shares with us the cost of following Jesus. And then later in Luke 14, the subtitle is the cost of being a disciple. The cost of following Jesus, the cost of being a disciple. You never stop paying a price. You will pay a price for the gospel when you first come unto salvation. For me, it was almost 20 years ago. This November will be 20 years since I gave my life to Jesus. I was 18 years old. Come on, give it up for Jesus. 18 years old, just graduated high school, first semester at Northeastern, November 3rd, 2000. And for me, that message at that time was a message of surrender. And I was with a guy I wasn't supposed to be with. And he was, not an, he was an unbeliever, and I was backslidden for the three years that I was with him. And the message was simple, and I know I've shared it with you guys before. It was surrender all, give it all to Jesus, count the cost. And I did, and I specifically prayed. I said, Jesus, I want to, but I cannot do it by myself because I knew this guy would not let me go. And I get back, we're talking, and in the conversation, I'm explaining to him how, you know, I was at a convention. It was a weekend away. And he says, do you want to break up because I feel like I'm bringing you down? And I was like, yes, yes. I was like, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, deuces. <laughs> so there is a cost that we count. We count the cost. And once you count it, you surrender fully to it. 
And you don't get to take that card back later on after you've been saved maybe 10 years, 15 years. I've been saved so long, Lord. I gave it up for you back then when I was 18. I counted the cost then. I said I would live for you. I've lived for you for a long time. And then you get comfortable, maybe a little bit of a religious spirit. God has blessed you with so much stuff, marriage, family, kids, a house, successful church. What more do you want from me? What other price do I still have to keep on paying? Guys, I want to share with you this morning that counting the costs for the gospel never ends. It never ends. There will always be a price to pay. And you have to understand that it's always going to be worth it. In Luke 9, we hear the cost of following Jesus. 57 through 62 are the verses I'm going to go through. Luke 9, 57 through 62, if you want to read along with me. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You want to follow me? It's not going to be a comfortable life. You want to follow me? Don't expect riches and fame. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I'll follow you, but I got to take care of this stuff right now. You know, Jesus, not really a good time. No, you surrender now. Today is a day of salvation. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Got to take care of some stuff. It's, it's not really what I want to do right now. But what does Jesus say? No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. When you choose to count the cost and come to Jesus, you surrender fully, not just for a 24-hour period, but for the rest of your life, and you never look back. You never look back. Luke 14, 25 through 34, talks about the cost of being a disciple. Luke 14, 25 through 34, large crowds are traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate Father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Are you ready for your family to disown you? What if your family doesn't want you talking about Jesus anymore? What are you going to do? I know some of you guys are in... A delicate situations for the most part. Some of you guys are still living with your parents. So you have to ask for wisdom. You have to ask for God's favor in those, in those times. And you guys have heard Joe preached about, about this passage. If you don't hate your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, even your own life, you cannot be his disciples. Basically, if you're not about it, about it, if you're not all about this life, Jesus says, don't even try. Because this is not a click. This is not a social club for you to feel cool because you have nothing better to do. It's all in or it's all out. It's all or nothing. Lord of all or not Lord at all. You still want to be my disciple? You want your family to disown you? You want people to look down on you? You want people to call you coons? Okay? How in the world? And I feel like we're living in the twilight zone. All that we've been through, all the nonsense that we've been through. You guys want to go through that again? Because we're not promised not to go through it again. Y'all are still going on the streets, all in the heat of that stuff, right? During this crazy time with BLM and, 
and the LGBT community being so on fire right now. We're preaching against them. We're not okay with their ideology. We're not okay all up in your face calling you names. Are you ready to carry the cross? Are you counting the cost of living for Jesus? What about maybe now it may be easy. You don't really have a lot, right? I'm a Bible college student. I eat ramen for dinner. Not to put you guys down, but come on. Bible college, that's what you guys talk about. You know, you're on college campus. You're eating macaroni and cheese. You're eating Doritos. I mean, okay, I'll give it up. But what about when you're married? You have kids. God's calling you to go to a foreign country. Are you going to say, I'm too comfortable now, Jesus? I can't do that. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. You do not want that to be said about your life in Christ. Finish the building. Finish the race. We are all a handiwork. God is building us. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask him for terms of peace. Don't come at me, bro. I'll be, I'm, I'm chill with you. No, if you want to go to war, it's time for war. Be ready. Plan it out. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything do not give up everything, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more in detail. You cannot be my disciple. Jesus didn't come for conversions. He came for disciples. He didn't come for you to just be a part of his little, his little club. He came for disciples. He didn't come for converts, guys. He came to change the world through disciples. Twelve disciples changed the world. Eleven, if you want to be technical. Changed the world. Flipped the world right side up in Jesus' name. And that's why we're here today, because they took this serious. They took this serious. They gave up mothers, fathers, wives, children, not in a neglectful way, but they knew their responsibility, their priority was the gospel of Jesus. They saw it with their own eyes, and they could not lie. They could not lie. Jesus. Now I'm going to go through some of this good stuff in this book by A.W. Tozer. The Crucified Life. If you guys have never read this, this is a good one. How to live out a deeper Christian experience. It's powerful. Got some good nuggies. I want to read some to you. There is a currency that must be exchanged to live the crucified life. There are some things that you've got to be willing. You know, the, the scriptures, you know, gave us the exact um, references as far as what it means to give it up and follow Jesus. Can't get any more clear than that. Hate, hate everything in that sense if it's taking uh, Jesus' first place. You hate your father not in a malicious way, but if it's getting in the way of you living for Jesus and fulfilling your calling, all of that has to go to the side and you give it all up. How do we make that practical for, for us right now? Let me give you a little bit of what how A.W. Tozer explains it here. Whatever holds you back is a veil between you and God, and it's made up of things that are just silly, he says. You will never be more than a common Christian until you give up your own interest to cease defending yourself. Put yourself in God's hands and just let go. 
Most Christians are satisfied living their entire lives as common Christians. Jesus didn't come for common Christians. He came for sold-out radical disciples. They never experience the richness of what it truly means to be a Christian because they like to just be common, mediocre. The condition of today's Christian church is the result of too many common Christians in leadership roles. So what exactly is the currency associated with living a crucified life? Five things. Number one, your safety. One of the first things we need to exchange is our safety. Those who insist on a safe environment are never going to move forward in their journey to a crucified life. If your safety is so precious that you must preserve it at all costs, you will be hindered on your journey along the path. Of giving it all up for Jesus. Number two, your convenience. Tozer says, nobody that, have, that I have ever read about ever found dying to be a convenience. You think it was convenient for Peter to be crucified upside down? You think it was convenient for Paul to go through what he went through? Do you think it was convenient for John, the beloved, to be burned alive, boiled alive? Think about the prophets, even in the Old Testament. You think it was convenient for them when their whole nation was going to hell in the basket? They're the only one crying out, prophesying the true words of the Lord. It's not convenient. The journey along the crucified life pathway will be paid for by mountains of inconvenience. Those who are willing to part with their convenience will progress toward being a hundredfold Christians. You guys remember those parables? 30, 60, 100-fold. You don't get to experience 100-fold Christianity if you're not ready to lay down some inconveniences. It's not convenient all the time to go evangelizing, is it? It's not convenient all the time to, to go to life group. Oh, I could use an extra laundry day. It's not convenient to be faithful to the, to, to the Christian disciplines, but you have to do it. Because there's always something greater at the end. Even if we were to lose our life, there's always a greater inheritance for all of eternity. The third thing, the exchange that we make, fun. That's a, that was a hard one for me. I couldn't wrap my brain around that one for a little bit. But for a lot of the, a lot of the examples I already told you, fun was probably not what it was like for an Old Testament prophet. We think of fun in 21st century mindset. Are you willing to exchange the currency of fun to count the cost of the gospel? Because in an American church, it's all about fun. Pizza parties, sleepovers, conventions. We do this. We do that. We hang out. A lot of people don't think it's fun to be discipled because they don't want people to know their business. It's not fun to have to go evangelizing. Because people will yell at me. It's not fun to tell people they're going to hell and that homosexuality is a sin because then I won't be liked in my class. I'll have a target on my back. It's not fun to do that. Are you willing to pay that currency for the journey to the crucified life? The great reformers of the church sacrificed fun in order to do what God had before them. The fourth one, popularity. In most instances, in order to move ahead, most great men and women of God had to lean against the wind of popularity. You think it's popular right now to go against BLM? It's not popular. 
It's not popular to be pro-life. It's not popular to call homosexuality a sin. It's not popular to tell people that they're in sin if they're having sex outside of marriage. Nothing about the gospel that we preach is popular. Does anybody have a hard copy Bible that I want to lift up right now? It's not popular. This is not a popularity contest. You don't go to church to be the popular person. You don't become a preacher because you want to be popular. That's the problem with the condition of our church right now. We have a lot of popularity preachers not preaching what Jesus taught because they don't want to lose that image. Because if they started preaching the right word, if they started preaching the true gospel, they wouldn't be popular anymore. And lastly, the worldly success. Are you willing to exchange your success in business, in sports, in your career in order to move forward? Come on. If we look at success from the world's perspective, Jesus' ministry was terribly a failure. All the apostles failed as far as the world's criterion is concerned. But is that really what happened? Absolutely not. It never stopped. The crucified life is an expensive proposition. Counting the cost of the gospel is expensive. Whoever is willing to pay the price will go forward in absolute victory and joyous fellowship with Jesus. Number two, another responsibility we have is to preach the gospel. The first one was to count the cost and surrender to the gospel. Another responsibility we have to it is to preach the gospel. If you go back to our main text in Romans, we'll read in verse 14, Paul's heart and passion to preach the gospel. I am obligated, he says, both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. He's eager, so eager to preach the gospel to them. He's obligated He has a God-given obligation, and he's eager to do it. And that's where he goes into, for I am not ashamed of this gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Capture Paul's attitude towards the preaching of the gospel. It is holy. It is a holy obligation that he feels. And instead of considering it a burden that he must bear in a negative way, a duty that he must carry out, such so mundane, he's eager. He's eager to fulfill it. And that's how it should be for us. Our attitude towards preaching the gospel should be out of a holy obligation, a God-centered, Holy Ghost-filled obligation and passion to preach the lost, no matter the cost, not a mundane duty full of misery. God, help us preach the gospel, all of it, from the beginning to the end, everything in between, the hard stuff, the easy stuff, sin, hell. What are you a Christian for if you don't believe in hell anymore? We are to be pitied. If Jesus doesn't come back and there is no life after death and there's no resurrection of the dead, what are we doing? You are playing make-believe. 
Heaven and hell is real. Jesus is real. The devil is real. There are principalities in the air. And God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. He's given us every bit of armor for the warfare that we are supposed to attack. The principalities of the air. This is real. This is not fake. It's not make-believe. We preach the gospel in its fullness. It is the power of God that is revealed through the gospel that brings salvation to all people. It is not our doing. It is the power of God, the spirit of God. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Preach it. Preach it. Don't be ashamed of it. Not one bit of it. Woo! Jesus. And lastly... We have a responsibility to live the gospel. Amen? We count the cost and surrender to the gospel. We preach the gospel, all of it, not just the parts that we like, not just the parts that are popular and accepted by our culture today, the ones they hate, the ones they don't like to hear. We preach that too, and then we're going to live it out. We count the cost, all of it, to surrender to it, to preach it, and to live it. Come on, we live out loud for Jesus. Live bold, live courageous, live free, live holy, live in peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Come on, live out what the gospel says our life should look like. Live and step with the Spirit and operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Live in forgiveness, live in the light, live for the audience of one. Live like you know that your God is a lion of the tribe of Judah. Live like you know you serve the one who stands among the golden lampstands, whose eyes burn like blazing fire and holds the seven stars in his hand. And out of his mouth comes a sharp double-edged sword. And his face shines like the sun in all of his brilliance. Live like you know that Jesus. Live like you know he is the Jesus of the gospel that you preach. Whoo! No excuses. Live worthy of the gospel. Live worthy of the gospel. Jesus is alive. He is roaring like a lion. Philippians chapter 1. This should be the last passage before we close. Philippians chapter 1, 27 to 30. Live worthy of the gospel. And I want us to read these verses because it speaks so much to what we just went through. You know, when we think of living the gospel, you want to think about, I want to live holy. I want to live pure, right? Those are all good things. Live by the fruit of the Spirit. Operate in the gifts. Do live the life that God has called you to as a believer, but listen to what he says to the Philippians here. Life worthy of the gospel. Philippians 1.27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Well, what does that look like? Because we, we had some whatever happens to us lately. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner, manner worthy of the gospel. So think about all that we've just endured in this craziness starting probably in June. But if you want to think COVID, okay, you could go further back. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then when I come and see you or only hear about you in my, abs in my absence, I will know that, here it is, that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you 
you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. God will destroy them. God will, will save us. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. That's living worthy of the gospel too. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. How do we live worthy of the gospel? How do we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel? No matter what happens, whatever happens, you stand firm. You stand firm together in one spirit. You strive together as one for the faith of the gospel. Not being frightened about what those people can do. How they oppose us, their threats, their curses, right? We stand. We don't retreat. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's obedience to God, their obedience was what got them into trouble in the first place. Did you ever think about that? Okay. It was the door into the furnace. Why? Because they obeyed God instead of their king. Christians have developed the idea that if they obey God, it will get them out of trouble all the time. We won't suffer. Everything's going to be handy dandy like we're, like we're walking on a, on a path of the, the, the yellow brick road, right? But that is not the purpose of giving it all up for the gospel. If we are fully surrendered to Jesus, it will bring us to a point of no return. We do not need to understand what is happening in order to obey God every single time. And we do not need to know the outcome every single time. All we have to do is simply choose to obey and choose to surrender, choose to preach it, choose to live it. God will work it out. So just because things are going bad, things are happening to us, we're being persecuted, it doesn't mean that we are not in the will of God. We did that out of obedience. Too often Christians will miss the opportunity to bask in a new level of God's presence because they resisted the furnace, they resist the tribulation, and they run from the suffering that is before them. Have you ever wondered what it was like for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to share their testimony after they escaped the flames? I never thought about that. I read that in a book. Think about their testimony after they came out of a burning furnace that was heated up, I think, seven times hotter, ten times hotter, what was it like for them to be a, a, amongst their, their Jewish friends, their other friends, who probably bowed down? What was it like for them to share their story? There was another man in the furnace with me, and not a hair on my head got burned. Was it, what is it like for us today to share our testimony after what we've been through and to say, you know what? That was the scariest thing I've ever been through in my whole entire life thus far. But look at us now. All of your guys' faith, all of your guys' um, passion, your, your ministries, everything has exploded for the church, and it's going to keep happening. We have to stay faithful. We have to stay obedient. And we have to remain unashamed of the gospel, no matter the cost, no matter what we go through. We keep preaching it in faithfulness because we know that it is all about Jesus. Amen. Lawrence, if you and the, give it up for the Lord, come on. Lawrence, if you and the team can come to the keys, let's apply this. Let's make it personal. You guys can come up from your seats. Let's stand all across the altar here.
So let's make it personal here. I want you guys to just get into an attitude of prayer. Just between you and the Lord right now. Get into a quiet place in your spirit. And think about what you just heard. Because you know, if you had to pick a life verse right now, it would probably be Romans 1.16. Right? I am not ashamed of the gospel, Jesus. Because I know it is the power of God that brings salvation for everyone who believes. What are you willing to give up right now? What are you not fully surrendering to the Lord? When it comes to your responsibility of the gospel, what have you not fully surrendered? What have you not fully counted the cost for? Maybe it's relating to your family, your parents, your safety, your job. What have you not counted the cost for? Come on, ask the Lord, Jesus, is there, is there any area of my life that I have not fully surrendered to you because I want to be sold out for the gospel? I'm counting the cost, Jesus. Come on, talk to him a little bit. Talk about your future. Say, Lord, no matter what blessings you give, they'll never hold me back from giving you my all. Every single blessing that you give me, I'll give back to you, Jesus. And if you call me to go to a foreign country with a family of six, I'll go. I'll do it today and I'll do it 10 years from now, Jesus. Come on, I'm counting the cost. Count the cost of what it's going to look like for you five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now. Number two, how, has, how have you fulfilled the responsibility to the gospel to preach it? Has preaching the gospel become a religious duty? Have you let it become a mundane part of your walk with God? Come on, ask him to set you on fire. Come on, ask him to set you ablaze for the gospel. Jesus, let your word be like a fire in our bones. May we be weary of holding it in, Jesus. Baptize us in the Holy Spirit. Baptize us with fire. Come on, you can't pray prayers like that at the altar and not actually think that God will take us through some fire. Come on, baptize us in fire, Jesus, because we want to be gospel preachers that seek the oppressed set free. We want to be gospel preachers that bring good news to the poor, that sets the captives free, that proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. Come on, we want to be preachers of the gospel that see chains falling. We see chains falling. We want to be gospel preachers in our city where we will see gang members saved, laying down their life for you, Jesus. Where we see college campuses and high schools coming to know you. Come on, and are you living worthy of the gospel that you have received? Are you standing firm with the armor of God or are you retreating? Are you quitting just a little bit? Are you compromising just a little bit? Just so you can have a little bit of comfort. Come on, we'll make up all kinds of excuses. All kinds of carnal excuses not to suffer. Are you standing in the spirit? Are you striving together? as one with your fellow brothers and sisters 
to the ministry that God has called you to? Are you standing as one for the faith of the gospel? Are you living free from sin? Have you allowed yourself to be entangled in it again? Come on, take inventory of your life. Live worthy of the gospel. Surrender. Count the cost for the gospel. Preach the gospel. Live the gospel. Jesus. Because you know, ultimately, as we do all of that, what we're saying is, Jesus, I'll die for the gospel too if I have to. Because if you're willing to surrender to it and preach it and live it, we might possibly die for it. Lord, I pray that you take away any spirit of fear over our life, fear of man, fear of death, fear of persecution. Whatever comes our way, Jesus, we're standing in this generation. We're standing firm with a belt of truth buckled around our waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, with the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit in our hand, with our feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. We're standing, Jesus, and after we've done all that we know, we're going to still stand. I just pray, oh God, that we will fear not, for you are with us. You have engraved us in the palm of your hands. We are the apple of your eye, O oh God. And there is nothing that come, that can come against us, Jesus, that you don't know about. for a 